I'm going to teach a little bit out of Hebrews. Hebrews is written to the Jews. You know, it's amazing some of the doctrine that we get and we just settle into. And there's probably, you know, this has probably stirred in me throughout the years as much as any doctrine um, in any theology way of thinking about God. Um, and, and it's always really, it's always really messed with me because, you know, I, I think sometimes it, 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 it advocates easy believism. And, and we have to understand that the whole book of Hebrews was, was written so that it was written to the Jews, which was the church, and that was the most of the people who are actually, you know, in covenant with God through Christ. They were Jews, but they were in covenant with God through Christ. And the whole book of Hebrews was written so that they wouldn't turn back. They wouldn't be apostate. Well, what does that mean? That means that they turn away from God or the sacrifice of Jesus to something else. Once they've already tasted and believed in Jesus, that they believe that Jesus sacrificed for sin, they tasted of the Holy Spirit and the heavenly calling, and then they went back to sacrificing through the temple. And so the whole book of Hebrews is written so that they, the Jews wouldn't be apostate. So they wouldn't turn from the only way, and that's why it's written in Hebrews 6, if you've tasted the heavenly calling, if you've seen and know the Spirit of God, and then you turn away, there's no way to be restored back to repentance. That's why that's in Hebrews 6. Now, how we get to the place where it was only those Hebrews in that day that could actually be apostate, I don't have any idea. But it is rampant through the church. That's not the message that I'm going to teach you today necessarily, but you've got to get a hold of the fact that God's got something more for you than just having your ticket punched for eternity. And, 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 and he did so much more for us than just, and it's certainly a lot, but given us eternal life with God. The difficulty of the message in Hebrews is not because the presentation is unclear, but because too often people take on a, a piety or a belief or a religious point of view that hesitates to make as much of man as God makes of man. God has a high destiny for you. He has an incredibly high destiny for man and religious pretensions presume that a lowliness is necessary to be humble. And so there is an avoidance of teaching. Some teachers seem to avoid spelling out God's revealed intent for human beings as the grandeur of that truth would elevate man too highly and risk tempting the redeemed believer into pride, which we just talked about last week. But the truth of the matter is it takes great humility to understand that you can do nothing without God. That, that you're in Christ, but you were redeemed for purpose. Say that. I was redeemed for purpose. So the message is clear, and that is the title of the message. The message is clear. Jesus, the Savior who became man to save mankind has risen to the place of dominion intended for humans. 
I'm messing with you all. I can feel the I can feel the room. Let me repeat it. The message is clear. Jesus, the Savior, who became man to save mankind, has risen to the place of dominion intended for humans. Let's read Hebrews chapter one, verse two. I'm going to give you scripture. Don't worry. Don't fret. But in, and this is Hebrews 1, 2. This is from the ESV here. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. goes on in verse 3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. As a human, his sinless life and sacrificial death have done more than just bridge the chasm between God and man. Jesus also broke the power of death to block, which blocked God's high purpose for humankind. You have been delivered, that's why I had you said, from every curse. You've been delivered from every curse. There's no curse over you that has power anymore. It's been broken because Jesus sits at the right hand of God. So he, 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 uh, he broke the power of death to block God's high purpose for, for humankind. And he paved the way to bring many sons to glory. Now if you understand what the word Glory means, it means the image of God, the character and the nature of God. It is the glory of God. And, and it says that Jesus himself is the exact image of the Father. And he became man just like we're men, made himself lower than the angels. He was, he was made himself lower, but he's greater. And he made himself lower. He's better than Melchizedek. He's, he's a priest that's even greater than Melchizedek. He is even greater than Moses. Now you have to understand that, that these three things were elevated in that culture more than any other thing. And they should have been. Because they're really huge and we really don't, we don't even think about it much. But scripture tells us that we were just worshiping right there. There were a horde of heavenly hosts gathered with us in an invisible realm that were worshiping the Father with us because we were worshiping in spirit and in truth. And so we were aligned with God. And so Jesus comes as a man because it takes a man. You remember in the original, uh, the sacrifices, the high priest was a man. And first thing that high priest has to do, because he was a man, he was sinful. He had to make an offering for himself first. And then he could make an offering for the church, for the rest, for all of us. He did that. And it says about Jesus that he had no sin, but he was tempted in every way, just like me and you. He put on flesh, just like me and you, but he overcame by the power of the Holy Spirit. Which gives us a reason why not to make excuses for our sin. We continually make excuses for sin when we don't have to live there because the curse no longer has power over us lest we give it place. And then we revert back to the old way of thinking. But Jesus died so it would bring many sons 
to the image, nature, and character of Christ, which is the exact nature of the Father. That is, he wanted to fulfill the glorious original intent of God for mankind to bring kingdom to earth, to bring life out of dead places, to bring victory over defeat, and to bring victory over temptation. That's why Jesus died. That's what he intended to do. The reason I'm telling you this is because you're not here just to, just to spend time, just to go through the motions and wait. I can't wait till Jesus comes back that I can be delivered from this place of nowheresville. That I have no purpose or reason for being. I'm just going to bide my time till Christ comes back. That is not the mission. We are foreigners, sojourners. We, we, are, we have been placed here for such a time as this. And that is to reach this nation. This nation needs to see a group of people. As many as the church will rise up. They will commit to the ways of Scripture. They will hold the, the Word of God high in their heart. will stand on it to the very end and believe that the promises of God are yes and amen to this generation, to this generation. It's this generation. That's why Jesus died. It's so that the promises would be fulfilled now. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14 through 18. This is from the New Living Translation. It says this, Because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil. So when Jesus died, he broke the power of the devil, who had power over death. Only in this way could he set free all who have lived their lives as slaves to the fear of dying. We also know that the son did not come to help, uh, to help angels. He came to help the descendants of Abraham. His whole reason, he's not restoring the angelic host. If they turned against God, they're done. They're going to be cast away from God forever. It's only us who have sinned, who God redeems. The sons of Abraham. Therefore, it was necessary for Jesus to be made in every respect just like me, just like you, his brothers and sisters, so that he could be our merciful and faithful high priest before God. Then he could offer a sacrifice that would take away the sins of the people. Since he himself has gone through suffering and testing, he is able to help us when we're being tested. There is a way of living that is expected as believers. And so the message is clear. Jesus, Jesus the Savior who became man to save mankind has risen to the place of dominion intended for humans. And so if this is true, and if we're to walk in victory, how do you do it? There's only... A couple of ways. First, victory in Christ is achieved 
only by entering into God's rest. Now, oftentimes we think about rest as a Sunday afternoon nap or not having to go to work. But, but that's not what it actually means. The, entering the rest of God means cease striving and know that I'm God. That doesn't mean cease doing anything. It's, it's cease striving to do it with your own power. It's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my spirit, says the Lord. There's an anointing that comes on a believer. And God is so jealous of you taking credit for it, he's never going to ask you to do anything you can do on your own. He's going to anoint you to do something supernatural, something bigger than your capability. He doesn't need you, he wants you. He wants you to surrender. He wants to show his glory through you. How does he do that? He gives you a task you can't do on your own. When you think you've got enough, uh, everything, the resources to do everything, whether that be skill or talent or, or finances or whatever it is, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to pair that back to the impossible. I want you to pair that back to the impossible, and I want you to watch me do it. And then he sends heavenly hosts to help us. But we have to understand that victory in Christ is only achieved by entering into rest. It's brought about by constantly paying attention to the condition of your heart. We've got to constantly pay attention to the condition of our hearts. Because it is the ground that the soil, this is the soil and the ground that the seed of the word of God falls on. And God's rest is a place of faith and confidence in the nature and the character of God to be able to fulfill every promise he makes to the church. You see, a place of rest is a dependency on the nature and the character of God to actually do what he says he's going to do. In other words, all your promises are yes and amen. All your promises are yes and amen. Now, now what, what, what is really neat? Let's sing that together. All your promises are yes and amen. We can sing that to the Lord, and it even, it even fills our soul, doesn't it? And then we go out there and have to do life. It's amazing to me, it's amazing to me how many of us dump the anointing at the altar in church on Sunday. And try to walk in the world in our own strength. And if the anointing is going to come on this place like he wants to. I mean, I, I have no idea whether God wants to anoint this place in a way that's absolutely blow our mind. Anybody got any question about that? I don't have any question about that. The question I have is whether we're going to be found vessels that can hold what he wants to pour out. How do you hold it? You have to recognize and stand in a place where you believe that God's character and nature is enough to actually fulfill all the promises of God in you and in your life. And you've got to continually line yourself up with the Word of God. That's what it means to, to constantly take a soil sample of your heart is to test and see if the seed of the Word of God actually has place to take good root where you build your life on something 
that is difficult in this culture, that is difficult with your nature. Some of you need to hear me say this right now. In your finances, you need to quit fighting God. God has a way with your finances that you're resisting and you're never going to walk in the promises of God till you line up with it. That's budgeting. That's being found a good servant and faithful, and that's giving. Wow. Hebrews 3.12. Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. In any of you, what makes a heart evil? It's unbelief. Be careful, church, east side. Be careful, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day. Say that. Every day. Say it again. Every As long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. How do we get some of the doctrines to get? Be careful who you listen to. And it is said, today if you hear his voice and do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? These are people who saw the great works of God, and yet they rebelled. Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses, the deliverer? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So what keeps you from entering into the rest of God? Disobedience. To what? To the Word. About what? Everything. There's an economic way of doing heaven. We didn't create economics or marketing. We didn't create science or mathematics. God created all those things. We discovered them and we used them. We used gravity. We use everything God created in the beginning for ourselves. And he has a way he wants all those things used. And you line up with that. Way. What is this way? Well, you've got to discover it. There's got to be a hunger and a passion for the Word. I'm going to put Michael on the spot because I've, I've so lifted him up so much, I'm, I'm, I'm going to challenge him in front of the whole congregation because I'm challenged. I'm challenged with this same challenge. The Lord said, this is a new anointing coming. And 10 years ago, this was a 20-year-old wet behind the ears, thought he knew everything. Now he's no longer wet behind the ears. Some things don't change. I mean, we're getting there. But you know. 
But this is what I used to tell him. I didn't hire you to be a worship leader. I hired you to be a pastor. This is the attributes of a pastor. Start learning how to pastor. Allow the Holy Spirit to teach you how to pastor. You've got to pastor people. And now he's pastoring people. And he's going to do that in his sleep. So now I've told him the new anointing, worship leader. He's going from a place of, and he's still going to pastor because he does it in his sleep, to songwriter, worshiper, leader. Yeah? It's a new anointing coming that's going to do that. It's a new anointing coming on me. There's a new anointing coming on y'all, but <laughs> we got to know the word and then agree with it. So we see that we are unable to enter the rest of God because of unbelief. And so victory in Christ is achieved by entering into God's rest. It also comes when we continue in faith when facing delays. How many of you have ever faced delays in your walk with God? You had vision from God. You, you felt like you knew what God was doing. Some of you who've been here for 10 years, as long as I've been here, you, you, had a, you, know, you had vision or hope that God would actually do something good here. <laughs> we laughed at the men's retreat. I said 10 years ago we did the men's retreat, and I, 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 I was kind of joking with Ed Price, and I said, this is what we did. We said, fellas, this is the Bible. <laughs> if you're open to page 3, there's a table of contents. Here it is, right here. It's not far from that, was it, Ed? And you've come, I mean, good gracious, watching how far you've come, it's just been, it's just been absolutely worth the journey all by itself. It's been amazing. Seems like it's been a 10-year delay. It seems like we've had delays with the permitting, but I don't think so. I think everything is right on track. I think it's right where, I, was I frustrated? Oh, yeah. I felt like I was dealing with sloths. <laughs> Steve Farney sent me that picture of the sloth movie where they are There's a story in the Old Testament about a guy named Caleb. How many of you are familiar with Caleb? He was sent out with a dozen spies to check out the land that was promised. They were about to go into the land that God had promised them. And Caleb went in with a group of uh, ten spies, and he brought back, uh, they all brought back an evil report of unbelief. It's interesting how God calls that, an evil report. What was evil about the report? Unbelief. What did we just read in Hebrews? God is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. There's no changing of his heart. There was unbelief. And Caleb's words declared a conviction. It was a confession before all of Israel. We are well able 
to overcome. We're well able. Now, Caleb had gone in with the, with the spies, and he had he'd surveyed the land. He'd gone in, and he'd, he'd looked across the land, and uh, he had seen all the tough stuff that was ahead. And it reminds me that faith is not blind. Faith is not burying your head in the sand and acting like something ain't so. He had surveyed the land and he had come to the conclusion that we were well able to overcome with the Lord's help. Faith does not deny the reality of difficulty. It declares the power of God in the face of a problem. And it expects the promises to come true, which is good soil, which is where the anointing comes. In other words, God is calling us to be a church that does one thing, that constantly examines the heart, making sure that the heart of this church has good soil. And as they stand, they stand on the Word of God in that good soil, allowing the Word of God to penetrate and go deep and begin to spring up and bear fruit and bear seed. Believing and standing on the thought that every promise God promised is for me, is for you, is for this whole church. That we believe for those who are going to come in this door, whether they know it or not, whether they say, what I'm facing is just too big. Then we go, oh, no, 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 you're in the right place. You're in the right place. Not that we don't believe that what you're facing is big, but our God said that we were going to enter the promised land. And I don't care how big the giants look, we're going to get victory here. Victory's coming here because the promises of God are yes and amen. They're yes and amen. And you can't convince us otherwise. There's no way that you can convince this body of believers that anything's different. There's a message in the spirit of Caleb's response to the rejection of his faith-filled report. Some use their confession of faith to cultivate schisms or divisions, especially in the church. But Caleb stood his ground in faith and still moved in uh, partnership and support for 40 more years with people of unbelief. Beside so many people whose unbelief delayed Caleb's own experience. What patience he displayed, as well as incredible faith, because he never lost the idea that <laughs> we were well able to overcome. The memory that uh, Caleb must have had to walk with. He's a, he, he, he eventually actually possessed the land at a later date, and that 
itself indicates that even though delays come, faith's confession will ultimately bring victory to every believer as long as you stand firm. And so, victory in Christ is achieved by entering into God's rest. Victory in Christ comes when we continue in faith when facing delays. Victory in Christ comes when we silence unbelief and doubt with the Word of God standing on the promises of God. In Joshua, how many of you are familiar with the story of Joshua and Jericho? Anybody? Anybody still with me? Y'all hang in there. This is good. Many texts in God's Word instruct us to wait on God, to stand still, to be silent before Him. In, in the text in Joshua chapter 6.10 about Jericho, Joshua commands the children of Israel to maintain total silence as they walk around the city of Jericho. That memory that Israel's 40-year punishment in the wilderness was a result of the people's murmuring and unbelief was doubtless in Joshua's mind when he gave the command, keep your mouth shut. At that time, the spies had returned with a report uh, motivated by what man sees without Holy Spirit-given vision. The unbelief that they could take the land had sealed their fate in the wilderness. What you say at your mouth makes all the difference in the world. You need to continually hear your thoughts, hear what comes out of your mouth, and make sure you're declaring the Word of God and not unbelief. Make sure that your report is the promises of God are yes and amen. I don't care what I see. I don't care. I'm going to keep my mouth shut until I see victory. And when I see victory, I'm going to give glory to God. Words can bind up or it can set free. And so Joshua orders silence. Later, you know, we see that salvation comes. When they gave a shout, when they proclaimed the victory in the name of the Father, and the walls fell down, and they were destroyed, a supernatural event. In Proverbs chapter 30, 32, it says, if you have been foolish in exalting yourself, or if you have devised evil, put your hand on your mouth. Everybody do that. Nothing's coming, nothing's coming out of here except the promises of God, the victory in Christ. Hebrews 4, 11 through 13 says this, let us therefore strive, somebody say strive. There's only, see striving and see that I'm God, but you strive for one thing, rest. <laughs> let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the hearts, the thoughts and tensions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him who must give him an account. When you see that word, you see that text, do you put it together with the idea that there's an anointing on your life? There's a reason that you're here. God placed you here for purpose, to accomplish things. We've got a brother here in the Navy, and he's going to go, go back to the ship. Thank you for serving, brother. It's an amazing thing. He's going back to a ship, but you are empowered and commissioned by God to impact those sailors. 
on that ship for Christ. What you got a captive audience? They can't go nowhere. I've been there, done that, got a t-shirt. We're all on mission. And we can't do that mission in our own flesh. So cease striving. No, he's God. Nothing happens except through the anointing. Do you know how to walk in the anointing? What are you going to do with the anointing that's coming? I've already been asked two years ago, and I'm asking you today, there's an anointing coming in your life that you've never experienced. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to be able to hold it? Are you a vessel that's ready to hold it? Everything God wants to pour out, everything God wants to reveal, everything God wants to do, the supernatural works of the anointing of God. Purpose. <laughs> and so I got a list of things. I, you know, I don't know about you, but... <laughs> You know, golly, I got to say this too. Hey, I'm, I'm good. Oh, praise the Lord. One of the things that the Lord said to me, listen to this. Now, I'm not imposing this on you. This is what the Lord said to me. I'm holding myself accountable to you for this. This is what the Lord said to me. He said, Pastor. <laughs> so why did I create Sabbath? Lord, well, you created Sabbath so that I could rem be reminded that I need you every week. And, and I come to you in a, in a place of worship where I'm renewed and refreshed so I can carry out what you assigned me to do. Good answer. And so why did I create a tithe? Well, Lord, you created the tithe because you want me to understand that you're my provision. And then I could do more by inviting you into my finances on 90% than leaving you out on 100. I said, great. Yes, good answer, Pastor. So, so tell me, do you think that same principle works every day? And I said, well, sure it does. And he says, so why don't you give me a tithe of your time to be empowered and anointed to carry out what I want you to carry out during the day. And I was like, okay. And he says, if there's 24 hours in a day and you sleep eight, which is a lot, <laughs> that gives you 16 more hours. What's a tithe of 16 hours? An hour and a half? So do you think you could do more? In those 16 hours without me? Or do you think if you spend an hour and a half inviting me into the mission that I've called you to, anointing you, do you think you could actually carry out more? And I just went, whoa, God, am I doing that? And he goes, absolutely, you're doing that. And I went, wow. You know, you're, Mar you're, you're Martha. You're doing ministry for Jesus, but I'm not calling you to do that ministry right now. I'm calling you to sit at my feet. It's not that Martha was doing something wrong. She was, she was doing ministry for Jesus. It's that she wasn't hearing what the Lord was saying to do right now because she wasn't subjecting herself to him to do everything that he had already called her to do. 
Lord's saying, do these things. So, let me give you some how-to. Because the writer of Hebrews, if it's Paul or if it's not, whoever it might be, he gave a ton of let us do these things in Hebrews. And I, I'm going to read them all to you. They're all from the New King James Version, but they're, they're let us things. In other words, if you want to be successful, let us do this. Let us do this. Here's, here's your action step. So you're asking me, Pastor, what's my action step? I'm going to give you a dozen or so. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. <laughs> Therefore, since a promise, let's read these out loud together. Can we do that? We got them? Yeah. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. So what are, what's, our, what's our command? Fear. Fear what? Fear trying to do life without God. Fear not making sure that you're taking inventory of your heart's soil condition. Making sure that you're, that you're fearing the Lord and you're doing everything He's asking you to. That you're not allowing yourself to continually keep on sinning. So the first thing we've got to do is fear the Lord. Knowing, you know, in Jeremiah, my wife read it to me last night. I was blown away. It says, your sin is going to bring correction to you. I'm not going to have to do anything. Your sin's going to bring correction to you. You're going to put yourself in such a bad place, it's going to correct itself as a son of God. God's saying, don't do that. <laughs> Avoid that if you can. Fear me. Hebrews 4.11, same chapter. It says, let us therefore... Be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Be diligent. Don't stop. Don't lose focus. Stay focused. Even when there's delay, even when you don't see the promises happen right away, stay focused. Be diligent. Don't give up. Stand on the Word. Be solid. Hebrews chapter Four, verse 14 says, seeing that we have a great high priest, read it with me, seeing that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. What's our confession? When you, when you come to the table, do this in remembrance of me, that you remember everything that I did. And what I did for you is that I broke every curse. I broke every curse. You're not limited anymore by the curse. What did you say? Well, I don't, I don't see it. I don't see it all happening yet. We don't. But we have Jesus at the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf, a host of angelic beings, and an anointing, if we'll walk in it, to break every curse. It's already been broken. We've got to walk in the anointing. We can't walk without God and expect to see the curse being broken in front of us. Why do we think that it's automatically going to happen just because when we were 15, we made a profession of faith in Christ? Well, I'm a son and I'm a daughter of God. Shouldn't everything begin to line up? No. 
There's an anointing on your life to carry it out. And there's instruction from God. Do you think Jesus could have done what he did on earth if he hadn't gotten away? And if he hadn't listened to the Father? And if he hadn't seen what the Father was doing and making sure he stayed diligent to that thing? He was focused and diligent. Verse 16, I love this. Bethany, you and I were talking about this just a little bit earlier. Let us therefore, say it with me, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. We can come boldly to God even when our emotions aren't lining up what we think ought to be pretty. Lord, Lord, my, my emotions aren't really looking real good right now. I mean, I, I don't see much hope. And so, and so I'm coming to the cross because you said to me, God, that if I will submit myself to the power of the cross, that your grace, you, you would find mercy for my condition and your power that does more than I can do on my own would come upon me and help me in my time of need. That there would be something that comes from heaven. Now listen, that's not just a doing. That's an anointing. It's the anointing of God. It doesn't happen if we just expect it without submission and surrender. Chapter 6, verse 1 says this. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection. Say that. Let us, let us go on to perfection. Not laying in the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith toward God. In other words, there should be a lifestyle of repentance. It ought to be who we are. Let's don't beat that horse. Don't make the pastor constantly tell you you need to get your heart right. You need to keep your eye on the Word of God and Think that if I don't line up with God, that something's going to happen. You've got to quit doing that. That's elementary. You ought to already know that. You ought to already be doing that. It ought to be a lifestyle for you <laughs> and me that we have a lifestyle of repentance. We say to God, God, here I am. I want to align myself with you before you have to let sin correct me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart. In full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. He's faithful. Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let it happen. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Therefore we are also, since we are surrounded by such great a cloud of witnesses, those who have been found faithful before us, let us, let us lay aside every weight and every sin which so easily ensnares us. Let us lay that aside and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the Arthur, and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, has sat down at the right hand of God on the throne of God. Ever interceding on your behalf. Father, Father, Father. <laughs> Do you see Julie? You see, you see her prayer, Lord? You see her tears? We got them collected in this bowl. 
You see her tears? Do you see what she needs, God? Jesus. Father, could you send, could you send a whole division of angelic hosts to Miss Julie? Could you begin to do war in the supernatural on her behalf so that she could actually break through what she finds herself struggling with? Do you think the Father's love for you is great enough to say yes to that request by the Son? Jesus at the right hand of the throne of God. Hebrews 12, 28, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. What are you receiving? A kingdom. Let us have grace. Let us have unmerited favor empowered to do what we can't do on our own, by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Supernatural grace. 13, 1 and 5. Let brotherly love continue. 5. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For in he himself has said... I will never leave you or forsake you. Jesus is with you. Be content. That's all you need. Therefore, let us go forth to him outside the camp. That means outside these four walls, outside the church, bearing his reproach. Hebrews 13, 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Hebrews 13, 17, obey those who rule over you and be submissive. <laughs> Let's read that one more time. Let's read it out loud and loudly. You ready? <laughs> Just kidding. Obey those who rule over you and be submissive. That means your boss. For they watch out for your souls and those who must give an account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. Some how-tos of Hebrews. Let's stand together. That ought to be enough. <clears throat> I don't want you to think for one second that this anointing is going to come without you presenting yourself to God. Do you need the anointing today? Let me answer, answer. I, I really do want you to answer me here. Do you need the anointing today? Yes. Do you need it tomorrow? Yes. Okay. Have you ever thought about the whole idea of God saying about his mercy that it's new every day? There's this, there's this refilling of God's mercy every day. If that be the case, don't you think you ought to subject yourself to that new mercy every day? Don't try to walk in an anointing that's only going to come when you're surrendered to God. When you, and what that means is that you have good heart soil. That you're examining your heart. You're making sure that you're valuing His Word in the way that He intended you to value it. That you're not making excuses for your lifestyle, your thinking, or the words that come out of your mouth. 
You're actually shutting yourself up, saying, I'm aligning myself with the promises of God because even if I'm delayed, I am going to stand and believe that victory is coming if I'll just line up with this. And when you do that, and when you get in that posture, and when I get in that posture, and the leadership of this church gets in that posture, whoa, 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 whoa. There's going to be an anointing that's going to knock our socks off. So I ask you the question. Will you surrender to God's way? Do you want the anointing? Me too. Father, in the name of Jesus. I know Michael's scared to death. Pastor Alex is scared to death. I know Brock's scared to death of what you're calling him to. Because it's unfamiliar. it's outside of our control because it's ununderstandable it just takes trust and faith and waiting on you so father I diligently diligently enter into a place of dependence upon you to do exceedingly abundantly above all I ask or think Jesus' name I pray. And everybody said, Amen.